How do you come to terms with getting a cancer diagnosis in your 30s? Hello, I'm Angie Greaves and welcome back to Talking Cancer, a Macmillan Cancer Support podcast sponsored by Boots, where I meet real people and have conversations about living with cancer. I'll also be meeting some of the experts from Macmillan and Boots who can share their knowledge and guidance for anybody affected by cancer. In this episode, we're talking cancer with Nick. My view was I want to get better and it's just the sort of the pain I need to go through, then let's do it. During the early days of the pandemic, Nick, a healthy 33-year-old, noticed blood in his stool. And that was kind of the, the, the main kind of catalyst of thinking, I need to go and see the GP. After his mum convinced him to get this checked with the GP, he was diagnosed with bowel cancer. And they said that we're 95% sure that this is cancer, but this looks like it's quite a big tumour. In this episode, I'll be talking to Nick about what it felt like being diagnosed with cancer in his early 30s. At the age of 33, it is a weird feeling. We'll also be hearing from Dani Bell, strategic advisor for treatment, medicines and genomics at Macmillan Cancer Support, who'll be providing expert advice about cancer in younger people and more information about living with a stoma bag. We're Macmillan and we're talking cancer. So Nick, welcome. It's really lovely to have you here, but let me start by asking, what was life like before your diagnosis as a young man in his early 30s? Life was awesome, if I'm honest. I'm quite a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Uh, I'm from Kent originally, but I've been living in London for eight years. I have a, a great job, which I thoroughly enjoy, and I, I kind of work hard and play hard, really. That's kind of always sort of been my, my, my attitude. I'm someone that sort of realised late in life that fitness was really important to me for my sort of mental health. And I really got in, involved in kind of having a personal trainer and training of sort of at least three times a week and doing spin classes. And that really sort of helped me a lot. So really lucky and fortunate that I've got an amazing family. So I can't complain at all, really. So Nick, as the world's getting to grips with COVID-19 lockdown, you're faced with a different kind of health crisis. So I want to ask you, what were the first symptoms that made you think that something wasn't quite right? I think, so go back to, that, to the work hard, play hard thing. I have felt really tired for a long time. I probably didn't really think anything of it. I probably thought it was just London life, to be honest with you. What I started noticing is that my um, sort of bowel habits were kind of changing, sort of from kind of diarrhoea to, to constipation. I actually got a, a puppy just before Christmas. And uh, I took her out for a quick walk and um, in, in the field. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to poo myself. So I thought I'd drop my trousers in the middle of a field. And again, I kind of thought weird, but probably being male, I didn't, you know, moan about it, not doing, doing anything about it. Then I started noticing blood in my poo. And that was kind of the, the, the main kind of catalyst of thinking, I need to go and see the GP she sort of initially thought I may have a sort of a pile that was sort of a bit further up than a, than a finger could reach. And as a passing comment, really, I just said, oh, my dad had bowel cancer 10 years ago. 
And she said, okay, well, you know, I don't, I don't think it is, it is that, but let's just kind of book you in for a colonoscopy. And again, to be honest with you, I was really chilled out about it. I kind of thought, well, I've probably got a pile. Uh, let's go and do the colonoscopy and, you know, it'll be kind of fine. I hadn't really thought about the idea that there was going to be a massive screen, which I could also see as well. Quite sort of quickly into the, I guess, the, the, the viewing, I saw something which looked really weird. It was sort of quite bloody. And I said, oh, my God, what is that? And the doctor said, well, you know, we'll chat, chat later. And I got taken back to my cubicle. A nurse rushed in, said, we need to take bloods from you. A different nurse rushed in and said, who are you here with? And I said, well, no one because of, you know, COVID, but my parents are going to pick me up. They're 10 minutes away. Another nurse came in and said, can you call somebody to come and wait in reception? So I thought, like, what's going on? And then the doctor and one of the other nurses said, can you come in with me? And I went to like one of the, like the family waiting rooms and sat down. They said that we're 95% sure that this is cancer. We need to do sort of more tests, the biopsies, which they've taken or had taken, and scans. But this looks like it's quite a big tumour. And it was the weirdest feeling ever, to be honest with you. So you noticed the symptoms. Now, I believe you confided in your mum, didn't you? Mum was like, look, just go and book an appointment. Stop moaning about it. Stop talking about it. Just go and book the appointment. Let's thank God that your mother is the woman that she is. Mum is amazing. And uh, if it wasn't for her, I don't want to say nagging. She wasn't nagging me. She was just telling me, you need to go and see the doctor. She was encouraging you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the right word. Yeah, she was encouraging me to kind of just go and go and get it sorted. The words, we think it's cancer, took place at the colonoscopy. Then you get the diagnosis and it's confirmed. Tell me about those feelings. It was a couple of weeks of this balancing act of trying to play it cool and be OK and not worry and make sure your family's OK, and, but actually still not knowing. Um, and then I received a call saying, you have cancer and it's a T4 tumour, which basically means the tumour has broken through all the bowel walls. It's, it's the, the biggest size it could be, and it's about to attach itself to my bladder, and we need to get cracking to try and sort this all out. Because of my age, they were viewing us that we're going for a cure. The one thing, actually, I think I'm very lucky about was because I'm, I was classed as a critical cancer patient there's a hospital in london called st mark's hospital which is an nhs hospital which has a specialist bowel unit they were also kind of brought in to give their professional medical opinion as well as my local hospital in kent and to me i think i'm very fortunate to have be in that situation because basically there was two teams looking at all my stats and they both together agreed what my plan would be to go for to go for cure which to be honest mentally pleased me but also filled me with dread because being told what they wanted to do as my as the plan just sounded so intense can you talk me through some of the treatment that you had some of the treatment that followed yeah so i i I basically took the view of doctors and nurses they know what they're talking about you tell me what you want to do and i'll do it because my tumor was really big i could have had an operation straight away the but is it was going to be very 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 tricky and it might kind of impact my future living so the 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 plan of attack was to try to reduce the size of the tumor to therefore make the operation 
easier, in quotation marks. The plan for that was radiotherapy every day, Monday to Friday for six weeks. And on top of that, chemotherapy every day, Monday to Friday for six weeks. I was on something called Cape Cytobine, which is a pill. So I took 10 pills a day. On top of that, go to hospital every day for, for radiotherapy. And I was told that there's three outcomes from this. The tumour gets bigger, the tumour stays the same size, or the tumour gets smaller, which is obviously what we want to happen. And when I had my call with the oncologist to sort of say what the plan of attack was, you get given a huge list of what the side effects are, especially as you're kind of doing chemo radiotherapy together. It's almost like a double whammy. But I was just keen to to start the process as, as, as soon as we could. Um, there's a bit of kind of back and forth thing at the hospitals. You have to have um, tattoos put on you, which, which is used for the radiotherapy to kind of line you up so you're correctly in the position to be zapped by uh, the, the, the radiotherapy. It was really difficult. And the thing I... I found the hardest from that because it was all kind of in my mid-region. I was told to have uh, what they call a comfortably full bladder. And in my head, if my bladder's full, I need a wee. There's nothing comfortable about it. Trying to kind of have a comfortably full bladder, I, I found really difficult. You get given a sort of specific time that you need to go in to have your zapping, as I nicknamed it. Uh, but sometimes the hospital's sort of running behind schedule. And what happens to that is you, you could get there with your comfortably full bladder in quotation marks, but then be told that you have to wait 40 minutes for your zapping, which is fair enough. But then you go through this like sort of question mark of, well, what do I do? Do I have a wee now? And then try and sort of nail a load of water in the hope that I end up having a sort of comfortably full bladder. It's really difficult. I did wet myself one time when I was on the, the radiotherapy table because I just thought I could hold it and basically I couldn't and it was just it was just a nightmare. The side effects from the doing the sort of radiotherapy and chemotherapy together weren't, weren't great. I felt absolutely exhausted, sort of real fatigue. But I, I kind of knew this is what it was going to be, you know, like you get told what the side effects are going to be. And my view was I want to get better. And if it's what is the sort of the pain I need to go through, then let's do it. My understanding is that you moved back to your parents' house during diagnosis and treatment. Now, for a young man in his 30s, that might have been quite a transition. But because of what you were going through, did you feel it was the best place to be? Totally. Uh, you know, I think although I love London life and I love living in my flat, it doesn't matter how old you are. Having a hug from your mum is amazing. And knowing that your mum is there to give you a hug when you're feeling terrible or emotional, you know, and my dad is just phenomenal as a as a person and as I said earlier we're we're from a farming family originally and kind of we don't have a family motto but my granddad used to sort of say we never give up and that's something that's always stuck with me because my dad sort of always always had this attitude of never giving up and sort of being around them both was was great because they kind of kept me going you know mm -hmm. and I, even when I was feeling terrible sitting in my bed thinking what is my life they were they were there we had no control i mean yes i could have said no i don't want the treatment but you know in my eyes that wasn't an option we are sort of allowing the doctors and nurses to do their best and i think for my parents you know mum cooking me dinner dad taking me to hospital they could do something they had something that they had control of that they could offer support and it was amazing and i'm, I'm back on chemotherapy 
now and uh you know i'm still living with them and i i couldn't really do it without them to be honest yeah. with you it actually makes me feel a bit emotional because you know they they've 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 lived they've lived it they've lived this whole journey with me and having them gone through it themselves you know it's like it's sort of like round two for them so yeah i owe, I owe a lot to them actually <laughs> nick you had a stoma bag after the surgery now for a young man in his 30s that that must be a hard adjustment for anybody but for a young man in his 30s what was it like with your everyday life i knew i was going to have to have one so it wasn't a surprise but it has taken me a long time to get used to it without being too graphic i have two red things that stick out of my tummy where my poo comes from so mentally, that's just weird in my head. And it was swollen, there was blood everywhere, and it was quite just really sensitive. And as I say, although you were told previously you're going to have one, until you have it, it just doesn't sink in. The stoma nurses were absolutely fantastic of teaching you how to do it. And it's probably the one thing I hadn't really thought about is the care of what you have to do with the stoma bag. There's a hell of a lot and I hadn't thought about it. They, I think to be fair to the stoma nurses, they had kind of told me prior to surgery, but your head's all over the shop, you're having an operation. And at the age of 33, it is a weird feeling. And the other thing to, to add on to that, so my, I have an ileostomy, which basically means food only goes into my small intestine and then it comes out. And because of that, you have to be on a specific diet, which is sort of low fiber. So I live my life on like strawberries, berries in the morning, salads in the afternoon, you know, tomatoes and peppers, that all has to go. So you have to kind of eat like starchy foods, potatoes and, and pastas. You can have like carrots, but as long as they're cooked really well. So mentally, I'm used to a certain diet that has to go out the window. I've never had a six pack, but I was quite lean and toned. <laughs> I was told I have to, I was to have to like put weight on, so I don't feel like myself, and I and I certainly don't look like myself, and that's partly because of the stoma bag. The stoma bag is saving my life, and you know there's no two ways about it. If I didn't have, if this wasn't an option, I don't know what would happen. But I, I I know the the purpose of it, but it is something as a young man, it's quite challenging to get your head round. But I decided that we're in this together, <laughs> Stoma Bag. So I decided that Stoma Bag was going to be called Zippy. Okay. And, you know, Zippy comes to bed with me. Zippy is in the shower. We're in this together. So let's try and be friends kind of thing rather than viewing it in a kind of negative way. It's really, it's really helped me. Has life got, I don't know if the right word is easier, but has life got easier with Zippy? When I found out that I had to, have six more months of chemotherapy that really knocked me because I was told that I was going to have to have Zippy for the duration that I was on chemotherapy. So broadly speaking, if I didn't have to have more chemotherapy, I wouldn't have the bag now. I would have had my reversal operation. So being told that I have cancer cells in my blood vessels, which means I have to have more chemotherapy, that means you're going to have to have Zippy for six months. But it's actually longer than that because when you finish chemotherapy, you have to wait roughly six to eight weeks to kind of allow the chemo to sink out of you and have scans and whatever before you have the thing. So in my head, 
I was like, oh no, I've, you know, this is the rest of the year with Zippy. And I initially found that a real challenge because, you know, I just kind of thought, well, my, I, I'm not sure I can do more chemo. I'm yeah. not sure actually I want to have Zippy for, for sort of much longer. So it has been difficult, but I've got into quite a, a good routine um, of it. And I think that was probably what I just needed to learn. Like, when is my bag or when is my sort of stoma more active? So it's probably like an obvious thing to say, but when you go to bed, you don't eat. So therefore there's no, there's no food in you. Yeah. So when you get out of bed in the morning, it's quite a good time to change your bag. Yeah. Whereas sort of I was might be, I don't know, do it in the middle of the day. And it's like, oh my God, what's going on? So I'm, I'm now trying to kind of see some friends because I haven't really seen my friends in a, in a while. And, you know, now the sort of the pandemic sort of eased a bit. Um, but you have to be careful what you eat, you know, so everything goes back to Zippy. And sometimes, you know, I've had a few kind of nightmares in the middle of the night. It's sort of, in my words, blown up. So kind of, you know, your white bed sheets aren't white anymore, which is a bit frustrating. But I think I sort of realised you just got to laugh about it. You just got to sort of laugh about it and, and not stress and um, allow allow it to kind of do its thing and remember that the stoma bag is there to help you get better. So you say, you know, you've got to watch what you eat, don't eat at night, but are there any other words of wisdom that you could share with somebody, especially a young person who's found themselves with a stoma bag? Maybe mental and emotional words of wisdom. Well, two things for me, I changed my bag twice a day. So my big issue was that I was getting very raw skin, it was bleeding. And actually, I was only sort of changing my bag in the morning. So changing it kind of twice a day, I think helped because it gave you the opportunity to wipe your skin. But in, I guess in terms of like in, in encouragement, there's actually a lot of people that have stoma bags that you don't know about. You're not the only one that's, that, that's got it. But I think for me, it was really just remembering that this is, is saving my life. This is absolutely saving my life, allowing my body to heal where the operation was. I don't know actually what would happen if, if stoma bags didn't, didn't exist. So although it is, you know, challenging, don't give up on it, make it your friend, give it a name. I think that's the important bit. And as I say, it comes with you. Zippy sees me naked, Zippy sleeps with me, Zippy comes with me when I go for a wee, when I go for a coffee, and so he's part of me. So I think if you view it as something that's saving your life and make it your friend, you'll find it much easier to kind of like deal with. I love your outlook. I absolutely love your outlook. Now, you have been posting about your journey and Zippy on Instagram, haven't you? It's, it's, it's a weird one. And I hadn't perhaps appreciated the kind of feedback that I got from it. I, I put a post up kind of halfway through when I was doing radiotherapy. And I haven't done any of this for sort of self-indulgence, give me a pat on the back, the, you know, the likes or whatever. I just wanted to put a post up to say, go and see your doctor if something doesn't look or feel right. It doesn't matter what age you are, just go and see your doctor. And that was really like the message that I kind of wanted to say. And I guess the way that kind of the internet works and the social media works, loads of people started following me that were going through similar challenges one of my friends actually had a funny looking mole on her back and a bit like me she's my age kind of thought nothing kind of of it but looks a bit funny she took my post as encouragement to see her gp and she was told that it was cancerous and i thought oh my gosh like i've 
helped someone to give them encouragement to go and see the, the doctor. And I kind of thought, you know, I, I felt really sort of proud of that and I, I've helped her. So I decided that I kind of wanted to make a phrase of know your shit because that was kind of really what my view was, looking at my poo and thinking, do I know it? I don't know you. <laughs> Who's this blood in there? <laughs> so I've started kind of doing a few kind of posts really about, about my, my journey and, and sort of each stage that, that I'm at. Because I think initially I was like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be better in a year. Don't worry about it. But all, you know, all six months will be fine. But actually when I started radiotherapy, I thought this is going to be the longest six weeks of my life. So that was my first stage. And kind of I did a post about that. And the second stage was kind of actually this, this sort of gap between uh, sort of finishing treatment and starting the operation and kind of getting ready for that. So I did a post about that. And... Um, there is actually the most amazing community out there on social media of people that are going through, um, doesn't necessarily have to be sort of the same cancer as me, but just ha who have cancer, who are, who are young and are kind of wanting to kind of really promote that we need to sort of support each other and give encouragement and advice to people that, you know, maybe are too scared to go and see their GP or, oh, I can't get an appointment, so I won't worry about it. Well, no, the answer is keep trying, you know, keep trying, book yourself in. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's helped me definitely kind of talk, talk about it. Uh, but as I say, if I can give other people the encouragement, then that's kind of, that's, I feel, I feel really pleased with that. You sound very driven, Nick, and it's really encouraging to hear the way that you talk. So what does the future hold? As I say, I'm on chemotherapy at the moment, so I had to do six months of chemotherapy, which is 14 days of chemotherapy, seven days off. Today, I am starting round six, and I have to do eight rounds. Hopefully, six to eight weeks after I finish chemo, I can have my reversal operation. And then, I know this sounds really weird, but like, a lot of my friends are like, you, know, you need to go on holiday, you need to go and do stuff. I just want to go back to my flat in London and see my friends and like go for a coffee and go to the gym. And uh, my sister said to me, what do you think your first meal would be? And I was like, I know it sounds really weird. I can't wait to have a salad. I'm so <laughs> excited about eating a tomato and a pepper, which sounds ridiculous. But when you have your normal life taken away from you, you just want to go back to like normal life. And I say mum's 70. She'll hate me for saying her age, but she's 70 in May. So I want to that's my goal. I want to be back to normal by then. I want to be fit and healthy and having uh, some celebratory drinks for that. And then I'll probably go on a few few holidays. But I just kind of I feel like, I don't, don't mean to sound this like a drastic way, but I feel like you be, you're in a sort of cancer prison when you go through this, especially with COVID as well. You have to sort of, you know, you can't really go anywhere because your immune system is low being on chemotherapy. So I haven't had a normal life. And I just want to go back to my normal life. I want to go to my local coffee shop and see them all there and say, I'm back and, you know, have a coffee and that sort of thing. Aww. So I just, I just kind of, it's not normal life. And my dog is now one. So I'm probably quite keen on maybe just going on, uh, taking her and like going, like going into the Lake District or something, going for like some nice walks, that sort of stuff. But just normal life and perhaps not rushing back straight back to work. Any prospects of dating? Have you thought about dating, given everything that you've been through? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one, because if I had the stoma bag but didn't have to go through chemotherapy, I genuinely really would think about it now. I'm definitely somebody, I probably, I probably lead on having a bit of a needy personality. I like a cuddle. And, you know, a lot of my friends are settling down and getting married and there's children, and I'm kind of not 
at that stage yet. So I would like, definitely like to meet Mr. Wright and, uh, and, and do that. But I think at the moment, because, because the chemo that I'm on really knocks me out for two weeks and then I have sort of a week off, it's just not, it's just not kind of really um, feasible. At the moment. Yeah, at the moment. So it's definitely, definitely something that I would like to happen. But uh, I think really at the moment for me, it's, it's just getting, finishing chemotherapy, saying farewell to Zippy and then, and then see, see, see what happens. But I think before, before finding a boyfriend, it would be salads, coffees and being in London and then, and then, uh, and then finding, finding a Mr. Mr. Wright. Nick, you've been really upbeat about your experience and really positive. So my final question is, if there's anything you could say to any young person facing cancer, what would it be? Never give up. That's definitely, and I said earlier, it's my sort of our kind of family motto, but like never give up is, is definitely what I would say. And I've also learned it's okay to have a down day I am a positive person, but there have been times that I felt very low, felt really upset, um, you know, and think kind of, why me? Why has this happened to me? And it's okay to have those down days, but just set yourself a, a goal for, for the day and try, and try and achieve that. I think that's the important thing. And whether that's putting your clothes on and going downstairs and making coffee and just watching TV, because some days I genuinely, I didn't want to get out of bed. So just be, being able to kind of do something like that is really positive. And, you know, if you have energy, go and see your friends and go and see your family. Do something nice. And if you know that the next day you might feel quite tired and not great, that's OK, because you've done something, you've done something positive to, to help your, your mindset. So, so don't give up and give yourself little challenges to try and overcome each day. And I, you know, never give up set yourself challenges, try and keep as, as, as positive as, as you can. But remember, it's okay if you have a down day and uh, keep in contact with your friends. Nick, thank you so much for being so open, honest, vulnerable at times, but also for making me smile. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for the opportunity. Questions about cancer. Boots and Macmillan are by your side from the moment you're diagnosed, through your treatment, and beyond. Our Boots Macmillan information pharmacists are on hand with specialist support from helping you make sense of your diagnosis to advice about living with cancer. You can now access this specialist cancer support at every Boots pharmacy in the UK. Visit boots.com Macmillan for more information. Subject to pharmacist availability. Dani, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Now, I know you've been on the podcast in our previous series, but for any new listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your role? Hello, yes, I'm Dani Bell and I'm a strategic advisor at uh, Macmillan Cancer Support um, and my thematic area is cancer treatment. Now, we've just been talking with Nick about receiving a cancer diagnosis in your 30s and how much of a shock 
that can be at a young age. So can you explain the likelihood of getting cancer in your 30s? And if there are more common types of cancers people can get in this age bracket? So cancer is not common in young adults, but there are some cancers that are more common in younger people. And sometimes this is linked to hereditary genetic factors that increase familial risk of certain cancers. And these are generally breast cancer, colorectal cancer, lymphoma, melanoma, sarcoma. There's a few more, but there are there are some cancers that can present at a younger age. And so what support's available for people who are in this age group? And they're really finding it hard to come to terms with their diagnosis? Most organisations that offer support will offer support across the adult age spectrum. However, people in their 30s are in a different place in their life than, say, somebody who is 60 or or 70. So there are some charitable organisations that specifically focus on uh, people um, in their 20s, 30s and 40s. Um, One of those is Shine Cancer Support and the other one is called Trekstock. But they offer very specific things in terms of networks, Facebook groups, talks and workshops, whereas charities, I guess, like Macmillan and other cancer site-specific charities like Breast Cancer Now, they have a more broad spectrum of support. So there is a lot of support out there for people. And I guess it depends on what their particular need is in terms of, of support, whether that be practical, emotional, physical, or they just have information needs. So earlier we were chatting to Nick about his stoma bag. Now, why might someone need a stoma bag? And exactly what does a stoma bag do? Essentially, if somebody is having a piece of their bowel removed, once that's been removed, they rejoin the bowel. And sometimes in order to allow that join to heal properly, somebody needs a temporary stoma but sometimes people have cancer and they need the whole of the large bowel removed so therefore they need a permanent stoma so there's a variety of of reasons but generally it's either because something's been removed and so the function is different or because they need a join in the bowel to heal so they have something on a temporary basis and is there a specific length of time that someone may need to have a stoma bag? If it's a temporary one, it's generally a few months. Some, sometimes it can be up, up to a year, but generally, you know, it's enough time to allow things to heal. Nick's saying earlier that looking after a stoma bag, it can be quite difficult. So what are your top tips for caring for a stoma bag? I think it's really important. You've got a change in function of of how um you know uh, you won't go to the toilet in the normal way so diet is really important because there are absolutely some foods that can cause food blockages like nuts and sweet corn and there are also other foods that we know can cause an excess of wind and that can be more difficult to manage like cabbage and sprouts and things like like that so actually you know paying attention to diet if those things trouble you or you're going out and you don't want to be in a position where your stoma bag has become overactive or you get a lot of wind in it then just sort of paying a bit of attention to what you eat and and lifestyle really there's no reason to change 
your lifestyle. You can still go on holidays. You can still swim. You can still do physical activity, any of those things that you want to do. It just requires a bit of planning and some information, really. So some swimwear for men and women that have have a stoma. There's different types of stoma bags and, and caps that you can get. So smaller bags and caps that you can get if you want to go swimming or be on a beach, you know, and it's just sort of finding out what works, what works for you, clothing as well, not wearing tight waistbands and just finding, you know, what works for you in terms of of, of comfort um, because everybody's individual, all of our systems work differently and people just kind of need to find the right way for them and what foods upset them. It, it's really all just about planning really and thinking ahead, whereas we kind of take those things for granted uh, when we don't have a stoma bag. You know, Nick's very young and obviously the last thing he was expecting was a cancer diagnosis. And if someone is young and is struggling with a stoma bag, what kind of advice can you give them? Everybody's an individual and they will cope with things in in different ways. Some people find connecting with other people in the same circumstance, either um, digitally in terms of online, online forums or support groups, or just even talking to somebody else who's further down the line with a stoma. Uh, sometimes meeting someone with a stoma before you have surgery can be helpful. So it's really about the individual's preference and then there's support lines that can offer advice stoma nurses are amazing people and have lots of experience and so if people are worried or struggling with particular problems then talk to their stoma nurse and they would definitely know local support and equally be able to connect them with with someone else if what you want to do is talk to someone so so my, i guess my advice is don't bottle it up talk about it and ask someone for advice or search on trusted websites to get information. And how can family or loved ones support someone who has a stoma bag? The key thing is they're still the same person. It is very hard. And I know the person may be, you know, with the stoma may be very conscious um, about smell and things like that. And I think it's really important for family members to not necessarily react in a way that upsets the person, but, you know, just treat them as they would normally. Nothing's really changed. And I guess understand the need for uh, privacy, for planning when going on holiday, all of those things, and be available to talk to them if they want to talk about it. And Dani, what happens when someone no longer needs a stoma bag that must be a very liberating feeling but can it be reversed oh yes i mean if the intention at the outset was that it was temporary there will always be a plan and the the, the person will know the timings for when that's going to be reversed and they would just go into hospital and it's a more simple procedure to have it reversed than when they have the surgery and it's formed because they've had the removal of cancer and yes and you do see that liberated feeling from people when they've had their stoma reversed but you know some people do have to live with a permanent stoma uh, even sometimes when it's planned as temporary at the beginning when they do the surgery it's then not possible for that for that to happen and so they have to obviously learn learn to live permanently with a stoma. Dani, thank you so much for your guidance and advice. You're welcome. 
so inspiring to hear Nick's attitude at being diagnosed at such a young age. Huge thanks to Nick for sharing his story and to Dani for their expert advice. So for more information about what we've talked about in this episode and for more information about how to donate, please visit our website www.macmillan.org.uk forward slash podcast. I'm Angie Greaves. Talking Cancer is a Macmillan Cancer Support Podcast. <laughs>